You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious Father, thank you uh, again for this day, for your mercy and your grace. Um, Be with us now, um, especially as we think about your power, um, a strength which is made perfect in weakness, uh, your gospel which is the power unto salvation for all of us who believe. for the gifts of belief and faith and repentance and all else, the things that you do. Open now our ears. Um, speak your words. Uh, be opened so that we would hear and see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Good morning. Um, so, uh, God's big picture. I think I did. Yeah, we can go ahead and close that. I think it'd be great. Um, not the best title for a class. Um, I, well, Maybe it will be after, you know, kind of resetting it this morning, thinking about last week. Um, the reason for this class is you have the privilege of going back to Israel um, uh, with the Drakes and males on the trip. Um, Frank and I went in February. Um, Mildred, I know you're going. So uh, for me to kind of interact and engage with what I saw in February, will we get to see again in June? But I didn't want us to do a slideshow. Hey, come on over and let me show you slides of my vacation to the Grand Canyon. You know, back when we used to do that. You know, I didn't want it to do that, um, uh, and it wouldn't. And so, but you know, kind of taking two, three steps back uh, for Israel, what it was and what it will be. Uh, God's power is the part that comes up, um, and especially if you think about the bookends of the Scripture, which it, it, it to my ear, to my way of hearing and, and reading the Scriptures. It, it sets up pretty well the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible. The first two, uh, creation, God bringing into existence from nothing, ex nihilo, everything. Um, uh, everything that, uh, as John would say in his prologue, thinking about and intentionally mirroring uh, Genesis 1, uh, everything that had been made or everything that was made uh, and had been made, the word is a part of that. Um, and the word which made flesh and dwelt among us, um, no one has ever seen God, Jesus Christ, the only one, the only Son of God, the, the, the only one begotten of the Father in the bosom of the Father. He has made God known. That's the intervening part, which then goes all the way to the last two chapters of the Scripture, Revelation 21 and 22, um, where now Satan is, is placed in the, uh, in the pit um, the, uh, the enemies of God, the world, the flesh, the devil, uh, sin, death, uh, everything is undone. Even the great enemy of death, the last to be defeated, uh, it is undone. And we just sit in Revelation 21 and 22 in the, uh, in the glory of the new heavens and the new earth, where all things... To, to, to quote Julian of Norwich, all things and all manner of things shall be, but now are well. They are well. So the power, there's that word again, of Revelation 21 and 22, want to bring to us. So it's the question, if the whole of the scripture, the whole of the word, um, and, and now thinking about Israel, where I visited and where I get to visit, where the land in which this happened the land of the Bible, um, is about God's power bringing everything into existence and then his power to bring all things to a place where it is well. 
it is well, where there's a new heavens and a new earth, where there is now no more sea, uh, where there is now no more sun nor moon, for Christ himself shall be our light, um, where there is now neither sighing nor, uh, nor weeping nor hunger nor thirst. Uh, that power, that's what I want to center on. And then riffing on Luther again, which I'm always doing. Uh, the two kinds of power, what you would call the right-handed power and the left-handed power. This is kind of the restatement. Right-handed power, straight-line power, direct power, the power of cause and effect, the power which we uh, innately recognize um, because it's reflective of the law, and the law is native to us. The law doesn't have to come from outside of us. We're born under the law. The law is in us. We know it. Um, we know that the law of gravity. It just kind of comes and you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall. We know the law of consequences. We know the law of when I do this to my brother, I'm going to get that response out of him. Um, we know how to push buttons. We know right-handed power innately. Um, the, 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 the power of prestige or position or at least its illusion of if I only could achieve X, then I'll be okay. If only I am, you know, this age, or if only, you know, for a season in our life we're waiting to become an age, and then another season of life we're looking back when I was an age. Um, all of that is reflective of right-handed power. If we were searching Twitter, kind of making this up right now, um, in zero around zero A.D. What would be the big news of the year? The year in review, Twitter. Caesar Augustus, you know, fueled, uh, gave an economic boom to uh, Judea for calling another, uh, what's that? The Pax Romana. So you would talk about all that Caesar did in calling the census and bringing everybody back to their patriarchal home and how it was... uh, you know, all the different things that happen as a result of that, including the economic benefits, et cetera, and so forth. One man could say, this is what I want in the whole world, as it was known, moved. That's what we would see on Twitter. But of course, for us, what do we know happened in 0 AD? What, what do we think of? I mean, the very calendar flipped over the event that wouldn't be reporting. In other news, you know, a girl... You know, a teenager had a baby. It's not worth mentioning, so, you know, go home. You know, we'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Um, left-handed power, the power which is hidden against the opposite. Fun- funky, clunky phrase, uh, which, which is preeminently known in the cross, which we'll look at a little bit here. I'm going to make our way to Jerusalem. Um, uh, power which not doesn't prefer the strongest, the most... Uh, the prettiest, the best, but the weakest, the least, the the forgotten, the dead. Um, that preference for things which seemingly are absent of anything worthwhile or notable. God tends to use, and this is the phrase I used last week, um, when he's doing the thing he most wants to do, how does he do that thing? What power does he use to... Uh, to work salvation. As Paul would say in Romans 1, uh, the gospel, the very power of God unto salvation, the saving work of God, the delivering work of God, the redeeming work of God. It's a good question. How does he do that? He doesn't just sort of say, zap, you know, now you're, 
now you're saved. Um, it's through something like an impasse most of the time. Um, it's certainly the, uh, the event was very much like that. It was the death of someone who was hoped to be the one. Are you the one that we've been waiting for? The chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah of God, the Christos. Uh, uh, that certainly would have been an extension, not of the Pax Romana, but now the Pax Christi. Um, where now the peace of Christ, which would have a direct line rule, and now we'll put those Romans into their place, we'll drive out the infidels, we'll move people who don't belong and put them where they do so that those who do belong can be brought back and placed into position. And that's not the way God works. So looking around the room, small enough, same old song, 15th verse, same old story. But again and again and again, asking the question, when God is doing that thing which he most wants to do, how does he do it? With what sort of power does he use? And I hope it provides hope for those of us who are in an impasse or at the end of our rope, either for ourselves or somebody that we love or whatever it is that we can look back and think like, you know, it's, it's, it's not lost. God does ridiculous things with impossible situations. So we looked at Gideon last week, and this week we'll look at Joshua and the way that Jericho fell. Um, we, we kind of Christianize it, or I think since for those of us who grew up in church, we think, oh, well, that's what God does. He has somebody walk around a city for six days just once, and the seventh day, do it seven times, and then when I say go, everybody blow your horn and yell. And that's how we're going to take this city. And we think, yeah, that's, that's the story of the walls of Jericho. That's how Joshua did it. Like, that's weird. Like, that's, that's not normal. That's funny. That's, that's, like, odd. That's the whole Gideon thing that we talked about last week. 32,000 people, too many people. Let's reduce it. So, you know, Gideon, go to everybody and say, if you have any fear at all uh, or you want to go back to your wives, go now. No shame. 20,000 people left. 22. Leaving 10. God says that's still too many. Um, I know... Here's how I'll do my enrollment. You know, we talked about this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Have them go down to the brook, and those that I say, go here, those are the ones I want you to do. No questions asked. Okay, Gideon? And Gideon says, okay, God, you're God. Um, and so they go down, and he says, and he watches everybody take a drink, and 300 men go down, and they don't look up. They put their hand, and then they bring it to their mouth, and they lap like a dog, the Scripture says. And God says, those are the people I want to be on my army. Those are the ones I want to do it. Who drinks like that? Nobody. That's weird. And especially to sort an army, and you'll read commentaries if you want to. I don't mean to go here. And they'll try to say, these are like you know, the elite fighting force because either they were trained or they innately knew to you know, keep your wits about you and make sure you're always scanning the horizon for something. That's not what's going on. It's just something weird. The left hand of God who wants to say, from the ridiculous, I will do my most important work. Um, and the cross is always exhibit A in anything about this. And so we're going to look at a couple of stories um, uh, from, uh, uh, from the scriptures. So, so and any, any comments there? That's the most important thing that I'm going to say, is just putting back there, even putting the word left-handed power versus right-handed power, just so now or in the months, weeks, years to come, if it would be the Lord's will to do so, we might remember when we're in that point where we need it. It's like, all right, God, if you're going to do a left-handed work, this is it, because I don't see a way out. You know, I don't see how uh, 
rationally, reasonably, my faculties, or the skills, or the attributes, or the abilities, which are good things uh, of other people, are going to do the thing that seems like needs doing. Um, this has got to be you. And the Lord says, I know. <laughs> it's okay. Remember the cross? You know, this is how I do the thing when I'm doing the thing I most want to do. Um, thoughts there? Comments? Yeah. Talking about the news at the time, and, and then you mentioned the oldest fortified city in the world, which had sprung into being Jericho, with yep. all of the different, uh, all of the different uh, levels of fortification, wall, moat, everything, uh, fortified gate from the beginning, and it just fell to this weird thing. The other thing that was going on was they built the incredible modern port of Caesarea, yes, with the first underwater concrete, and within a hundred years it sank under the water. Yep, but nobody knew it then. Nobody knew it then. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that, because um, that's the first place we visited. I have a picture of it, and I missed all that um, when we were there in February. Though I, Chad wasn't with us, and I was like, "All right, I'm on." And it's left-handed power, y'all. Let's talk. We talked about that sitting in Caesarea Philippi, uh, in the amphitheater there, a wonder of the world, first underwater port. They figured out how to pour concrete underwater, in like it was it was Herod the Great, so like four B.C. or something like that. Phenomenal. And then every place it was down south in what's now close to Tel Aviv, but where Jonah left in Joppa. Uh, and then it shifts up in the New Testament. Every single time uh, the gospel is going to go out until the ends of the earth. Remember in Acts it talks about first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It's going out in these concentric circles until the end of the earth. That's the port from which it went. So all of the apostles go out into the world with, I guess, the exception of what would be Turkey back up to Damascus and all that where Paul was and take the land route but generally it was out of the port of Caesarea um, of Philip Caesarea which is not to be confused with I mean with uh, with Herod Caesarea which is not Caesarea Philippi that's Philip Caesarea um, uh, which is uh, where Peter confessed Christ um, so thank you for that that's right that would be in the Twitter feed of of, uh, of zero AD um, Meanwhile, back in Caesarea, things are going great, you know. Um, uh, Right-handed power. It sure seemed like it, I mean, a phenomenal achievement. Um, uh, so thank you. Um, let's think about Joshua. Really, I want to talk about Joshua so we can get to Rahab. Um, but a little bit of this, um, let's just go here. Um, leave the same one up. Uh, here, just kind of reset. I mean, this is the Mediterranean Sea. This would be Caesarea Philippi, or I mean Caesarea Maritima, right here, up in the north near what's now Haifa. This is Mount Carmel. We looked at that. Here's the Valley of Jezreel. This is where Jesus was in the Mount of Precipice, overlooking and showed the picture. Had Richard Reynolds over on the side, because um, you could see Mount Tabor. Uh, this is where um, uh, Saul was killed. Um, so many different stories happened there in the Valley of Jezreel. Um, this is for orientation. Here's the Dead Sea. Here's Jerusalem right around in here. This is where we're going to be talking, um, where Joshua, this is where Moses dies um, on Mount Nebo. We don't go over there. That's in modern-day Jordan. Um, he is brought to the end within sight of the Promised Land, um, and then he dies on the top of Mount Nebo. And one thing, Frank, I don't know about you, but when we were driving through there, and I was thinking, this is, this is what... This is what Moses saw. This is the promised land. It's a little bit like that scene in um, 
shoot. Uh, this is the garden spot of the country. Butch Cassidy and Sundance. Um, <laughs> this is the garden spot. This is the garden spot of the country. Um, this isn't the pretty part of Israel. I was like, this is the promised land. This was really beautiful. This is sticks and twigs and hot and you know salty sea and everything else. Um, but this was the promised land, and right here um, into Jericho, which would be right about here, um, uh, Joshua crossed the Jordan um, in something which sounds very similar to when uh, Moses led Israel through the Red Sea. Uh, God, when they stepped in the water, God caused upstream the water just to stop. It says even to stand up. It's as if, you know, the rocks will cry out. Um, the water stands up in obedience to God's command. Um, and then uh, all of Israel crossed the Jordan into Jericho, uh, into the Promised Land. And then Jericho was the first city to be uh, into the conquest of, 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 of the new Promised Land. So that's where we are. That's where we're talking. So right in, my daughter said you should use the uh, thing. I didn't think it would work. Um, what's that? They went the hard way. They went the hard way. Um, they did, I mean, yeah, there was no easy way. They went the hard way. Um, uh, and just, I, we're spending some time here. This is called the, because this is the Jordan River. Here's the Sea of Galilee, which is a freshwater lake, and it goes down. Jesus was probably uh, baptized somewhere right in here. Um, somewhere over here is the Mount of Temptation, where he's led away for 40 days and tempted by Satan. A place I really wanted to go see, and it's probably right here. This is Somewhere right in here is the Jabbok River. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is where Jacob wrestles whoever he wrestles, and it's right over there. Um, would love to see that. We, you know, it's in Jordan. We'd have time. Lots of reasons not to do it. But that 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 valley there, um, one of the most unique features in the world. All of that is well below sea level, like we talked about. Where Jericho is one of the oldest cities, if not the oldest city in the world. Um, and it's also the lowest city in elevation in the world. It's like 800 feet below sea level. And then going up to Jerusalem, every single, well, almost every single time, especially in the Psalms and everywhere else, it talks about going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem, which sits, where are we? Right here um, on this, uh, this hill, the mount, the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, is where that was, where um, Abraham took Isaac up to, uh, to, to, to sacrifice him. That's at like 30, you know, 2,800 feet. So it's a difference of like 33, 3,500 feet in elevation in 40 miles. I mean, you go up, there is no way that you would say anything except we're going up to Jerusalem because wherever we are, it's down from Jerusalem. And so you know that. As soon as you're there, you're like, yep, we're going up to Jerusalem. I mean, it's because we're in low gear and the bus is grinding up. Um, so with all that, let's think right there. Crossing over, here's Joshua um, conquering Jericho. Um, and then we we'll get to the genealogy of David and Jesus in Matthew. And that's probably where we're going to stop. Come in, do you want to say something? You look like you were no, thinking. Mom, you oh. were asking, I don't think that you were asking if it flooded um, in that valley. In the Jordan Valley? Yeah. There's just not enough rain, I think. It's a good question since it's so low. Um, the Jordan River is much smaller today than it was then. Well, I mean, even um, in Jericho, part of that whole, the, the ruins is there's this huge <coughs> cistern mm, collecting mm -hmm. water. So yeah, there's just not enough water there to do it. And when it does, it gets into the Dead Sea really fast, which is all inflow and no outflow. It is the bottom of the earth. I mean, at 1,200 feet below sea level or something like that. Like, there's nothing else. If you think of a tub, you know, 
it goes there and it stops and it can't go any lower. I mean, that's that's the bottom. And so it just sits there and salinates and gets the bits mutant and the other minerals that are there. Ton of fun. You, you're floating in there. It's like, I can't sink. This is crazy. This is really crazy. So um, it's fun for about 15 minutes. Um, and m m more than that. That was, it was really fun. Um, Jericho. Uh, now Jericho was shut up and inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none can in, went in. So in other words, a siege. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands. So the first thing to hear, um, make no mistake, Jericho belongs to the Lord. All creation belongs to the Lord. It is his to give. It is his to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. This you should do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. The ark of the covenant inside is like the tablets of the commandments and some manna and the staff of Moses and stuff like that. Um, on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow your trumpets. And, and can you see him like writing? Okay, okay, okay. You know. um, and when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout, shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people go up, shall go up, everyone straight before them. And so, you know, going down, verse 20, So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the shout of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city, and they voted all the city to destruction. But as the Lord had commanded earlier, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But the two men who had spied out the land, this is back in Joshua 2 and 3, uh, Joshua said, Go to the prostitute's house and bring out from her a woman, the woman, and all who belong to her. Her name is Rahab. Uh, so, to, to remind everybody, um, when they crossed, or when most of Israel was over here, they sent spies across, um, like just two men. Um, and they went to Jericho, you know, they quaked because we're like grasshoppers before them. But a woman, a prostitute, Rahab, was there to. Uh, said, come here, the Lord spoke to me, um, I know why you're here, I'll give you refuge. And so Rahab helped him, and they said, you'll be remembered. And Rahab hung a scarlet uh, cord outside of her window as a marker. And now, interesting point of history, um, Thomas Cramner, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, you know, the reformer, the English reformer, uh, would always have, it was, he was, he was, it's it said he had, uh, hung outside of his office, what we would call his office, his rooms at Lambeth Palace, a scarlet cord. Because he wanted, that's where I start to cry, um, because he wanted everybody to know that like Rahab, one of the most unworthy people in the scriptures, uh, God's grace, God's glory, in fact, is to justify the most unworthy people. And so as a remembrance of Rahab and her scarlet cord, he put a scarlet cord hanging out of a window to say, like, the unworthy are welcome here. The unworthy, the most unworthy are most welcome here. I think that's beautiful. I love that part of the story. So anyway, that's all Rahab. Uh, uh, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out, for there a woman um, from there, the woman and all who belong with her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father, and her mother and her brothers and all who belong to her. And she has lived to Israel this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy with Jericho. 
So knowing that, turning the page and reading the first part of Matthew, um, struck me. Yes? He did. He put the same court outside of his window um, on 6th Avenue. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but he absolutely did. He hung it out there to say the same thing. You know, you are welcome here. Um, you know, I might do that now. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm going to go get a little red thread and say, just, you know, here we go. So, um, thank you. I forgot about that. Thank you for that, Mary Kay. Um, uh, Matthew opens like Luke. Matthew and Luke are the two Gospels, two of the four that start with a genealogy. Um, I don't like genealogies. It's not my cup of tea. Um, uh, my great, 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 whoever. I don't know about my great, 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 whoever. Um, but the Bible sure likes them. Um, and to hear this, and I wish I had time, um, we're just going to talk mostly about Rahab, but I sort of slowed down a little bit this week as I went through just the first five verses of Matthew. And I started to think about these people. Um, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew, the most Jewish of the writers, wants to establish Christ's lineage back through David and to Abraham, the one through whom the covenant was originally given. And so 14 before David generations and 14 generations after David, those generations be telescoped. Um, meaning when it talks about, for instance, uh, uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. There's probably some intervening generations, but going through there, all these folks are in each other's family trees. Um, the son of David, and this is what put me on it, last week, also in Jericho. Um, this is a picture of Jericho right there, by the way. This is probably, if I remember, Frank, do you? I think it said where the green is, is kind of where the old city of Jericho was, and now all this is the new part. It's pretty unimpressive when you look at the old, partly because it's not like fantastic ruins and all that, and it looked really, really small. But that's where it happened. That's where it was. Um, uh, the blind man, Bartimaeus, um, left-handed power of God. God gives the man who cannot see the sight to recognize Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah, the one who is expected, the one who was promised to come and is now here, except not the David the warrior king, um, uh, but the David who comes uh, in the quiet of the belly of a teenager and then the ignominious, ignominious death, even death on a cross, the death of a criminal. Um, that is how it's the son of David, not like his father, David, is going to write the entire world in, Gen in Revelation 21 and 22. That's what put me here. And so we hear about Abraham, the father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And I stopped and I was like, Judah is of, she's a son of, he's a son of Leah, not the preferred wife. The preferred wife was Rachel, who fathered Benjamin and Joseph, the sons that were loved more than the other ones. Judah, not almost the least, because he's just the fourth son. He's kind of just buried in there. He's not the first. He's not the last. He's just kind of forgotten in the middle of all the morass. Um, Judah, of the, preferred, of, the, of the unpreferred wife, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Gosh, Genesis 38 just went back in there. Incredible. Incre I mean, if you have sexual sin in your... 
take heart because <laughs> it's, you've got Genesis 38 is your friend. I mean, there's so, I mean, it's just, just crazy what's going on there. Where Tamar, who's mentioned here, this is the whole point, the left hand of God, Christ has just scoundrels and scalawags as his people. I mean, his, his closet is so full of skeletons. We should all say that, well, I'm better than Jesus, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, at least I don't have those people in my past. And, of course, tongue-in-cheek. Um, yeah, tongue-in-cheek. Um, exactly. Um, uh, Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar dressed up like a prostitute because Judah did her wrong because Judah's first two sons married Tamar. Uh, uh, that was Er, E-R, and he died because he did evil. And then Onan, because, again, he spilled his semen on the ground because he didn't want to give his dead son a son. Uh, and the Lord said, that's not what I told you to do. So he killed uh, Onan. And then comes Shelah. Uh, and Judah says, I see the pattern here. i got to keep a son. So he withheld Shelah from Tamar. Tamar took matters into her own hands fooled her father-in-law into thinking that she was a prostitute or at least let him think that she was a prostitute they had sex she conceived he wanted to kill her he says okay kill me but first know this this staff and this cord is the father of these children in my belly he's like oh because those were his and he's like oh you're more righteous than i a turn in judah by the way the story is a redeeming story for him but then those children are the perez and zara but this is that crazy part where zara comes out first with a hand out of, out of her uh, womb. The midwife ties a cord. There's a cord again, a red cord. Pulls back. <laughs> if you've had a child, can you imagine? And then out comes Perez, the firstborn, but kind of, not really. Something's up with Perez. Something's going to happen through his birth line. So he goes on. The father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Benanab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, same Rahab from Joshua, uh, who ends up marrying um, Salmon. And then somewhere down that line comes the Boaz, who married Ruth, both Rahab and Ruth, not Jewish, Canaanite Gentiles, um, soiled, spoiled. The story of Ruth, lovely story, but Ruth 3, where she goes in, a single woman to a single man, in the middle of the night, lays down, uncovers his feet, which is often, not always, but often a euphemism for, for something other than feet. Um, uh, and to think that nothing happened, you know, probably not. I mean, she used her power, somewhat like Tamar, to, uh, to, uh, to, to, and the Lord used that in order to bring about his purposes. What a redemptive story. And through all those people, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, who was the youngest of either seven or eight sons. Again, the least and the forgotten, uh, where the other seven are all lined up and said, is this the one? This is my oldest. Surely this is the one that the prophesied is going to be the king. Nope, bring another. And then all the way down through, it's like, none of these are the ones. So says, I guess that was Saul um, or Samuel. Who was that, Samuel or Saul? Samuel. Um, it says, well, I got another one, but he's the runt of the litter. He's out chinning the sheep. I mean, that's like what nobody does except the kids with runny noses. Um, <laughs> it says, bring him here. We're not going to sit until you do. And he comes in. You're the one. The one with a ruddy 
complexion. He's red and sunburned from being outside because what's going to happen? He's the eighth in the line. The eighth in the line never achieves fame and notoriety. Not David. Not David. It's the way our Lord works when he wants to work the work that he most wants to work in each of our lives. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to stop there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your power, a strength which is perfected in weakness, um, a power which shines as a light in the midst of darkness, um, and most fully, uh, life which comes from death and the death of your uh, the death of you, your son, um, given on our behalf. Um, do the work uh, in our lives um, through seeming impasses and impossibilities um, so that your glory and your glory alone um, would be seen, would be felt, would be known as true and real. We beg this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.